This is the Overclock Podcast, a regular dose of video game music and conversation from ocremix.org. This week, we conclude our two-part interview with Tommy Tallarico. Follow Matthew Tuserone into a Super Metroid-themed installment of The Big Ones and wind up getting lost in deep space thanks to a playlist of sci-fi music. Greetings and good afternoon, fellow denizens of the music world of video games. <laughs> you know what this episode is going to be, Brian? This episode is going to be out of this world. I am your host, Brian, and joining me today is my co-host and brother, Stephen. This is episode 69 of the Overclocked Podcast. And I, yeah, I didn't really realize that, I was, that my intro kind of sounded sci-fi. Mm-hmm. And I just ran with it. Could you maybe add a little bit of um, uh, room noise to the background so it sounds like you're in a spaceship no dang it sorry <laughs> you're such a lazy editor yep. okay well let's let's look at this episode um we have the sci-fi playlist obviously mm-hmm. um and then of course we have uh, a super metroid segment mm-hmm. uh yes now tommy tallarico worked on metroid music uh-huh. and sound design so that fits the theme where i'm struggling is when we're going to be talking about the new link to the past album well steven it, is there like some way we can like is is the dark world the science fiction version of Hyrule? Star Could that Wars be a thing? may be a long, long time ago, but Zelda is actually in the future after society has collapsed and been rebuilt. Um, so it's actually oh. a sci-fi story. It's like Horizon Zero Dawn, but with Link. So, so there's the biblical Great Flood. Mm-hmm. Then there was another Great Flood, and then there was the third Great Flood, which we see in Wind Waker. Exactly. I don't know where a Halo fits in there. Um, okay, but anyway. <laughs> yes and this is all new content this week there's definitely not anything you guys have heard before i wasn't gonna bring that up (laughs) (laughs) then we won't instead speaking of new content we're gonna jump into the remix rewind where we run down the latest songs from ocremix.org From OCR's Super Mario RPG tribute album, Window to the Stars, comes remixer Gario's blissful digitized cloudscape. Nimbus can wait. If androids dream of electric sheep, then this is the soundtrack to that dream. As those electric sheep bound and play in a binary field, grazing on tufts of inelegant code. Don't ask me why. Androids dream about weird stuff. Pazilla's newest remix is a reedy dark journey into a reedy dark swamp in Watery Castle, OCR's first submission from Legend of Zelda A Link Between Worlds. Dark and mysterious, but with a confident swagger, this one isn't afraid to get its boots wet and its tunic slimy as it braves the spooky depths of one of Hyrule's most dangerous water parks.
Mixer Ocean Andrew gives some love to one of Xenogear's most memorable tracks in Grand Flight, a rock band variation featuring electric guitar and drum kit percussion that proves to be a solid choice for the source material. After more than eight years away, remixer Star Salesman returns, bursting through the wall and rolling us all up into his giant ball of brilliant sound and original lyrics with his new Katamari Forever remix. Titled Tales from Arctic Katamari Roundabouts and You and I in Cherry Blossom Season, Salesman delivers a clever love song to his wife, to Katamari, and to some favorite musical influences, all rolled up into a giant unstoppable ball of sound that's coming right for you.
A new album approaches. From the minds of album directors Demons and Willrock comes Mere Image, a link to the past remix. 18 tracks explore two worlds of light and dark, in a tribute to one of the greatest musical legends this medium has ever known. Also, the album art is really cool. Go look at it. The weighty responsibility and honor of remixing Zelda's iconic overworld themes was bestowed upon remixer Sam Dillard, and the product, Timeless Journey, is a sweeping orchestral proclamation of love that proves he was the right choice. Another sample from the new Mirror Image album, remixer and album co-director Willrock tackles another well-known track from A Link to the Past in Raining at Hyrule Castle. And when I say tackles, I mean tackles so hard that he drives it a mile into the earth, then bellows a victorious war cry so powerful that it rumbles out from the depths of the earth and causes earthquakes all over the globe, killing thousands. And it's like, sorry man, people die when you bring this much metal. That, that's just science.
these remixes and more, head over to ocremix.org. You've heard the latest remixes from OCR. Now it's time to hear the remixes remixed with the Duosis recuts from JH Sounds. Last week we talked with composer and video games live creator Tommy Tallarico, and this week the conversation continues in part two. Video game music has changed a bunch since the early days, and video games live has, you know, been adding and adding and adding. How do you think you've changed since you started video games live? Well, you know, it's interesting. When I first started the show, um, People ask me, they say, oh, did you ever think you'd be on stage of, you know, the bird's nest in Beijing, China, playing to 30,000 people a night at the Olympic Stadium? Did you ever think you'd mm-hmm. be on Red Rocks and, you know, sold out show, 10,000 people? And, and I got to be honest and I say, um, yeah, I kind of did. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I was completely naive, you know, like I, Uh I, you know, so like when I first started the show, I'm like, oh, this is going to be a huge hit, a huge, you know, I didn't realize like how much work would be involved and how much marketing Uh uh, we would have to figure out and how to get to people and all the PR. And, you know, I just thought, oh, every, you know, 
millions of people are just going to show up and uh, you could have the greatest idea in the world, but if it's not marketed and the story isn't told the right way and uh, like, yeah. that's the biggest challenge. I, I find myself still to this day, even though, you know, as successful as we are, you still, now you have to go in and say, Hey, by the way, you saw the show before, but this time it's going to be new and different. And, you know, cause mm-hmm. I changed the set list every single show. I've never even played the same set list twice. Yeah. Um, and I mean, uh, I've seen it like four or five times, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and you know, uh, so about 18 or 19 segments, that's about a two and a half hour show that includes a 20 minute intermission for the orchestra. Mm-hmm. And I've created over 170 different segments. So, you know, it, it just, like you said, it just keeps growing and growing, getting bigger and bigger. And I think the turning point, uh, for me and for the show was in 2010 mm-hmm. when we did that PBS special video game music was in 90 million households in America and and those households the people who watch PBS are not hardcore gamers in mm-hmm. fact they're probably the most opposite end of the spectrum that you could get from video game players. They were, you know, 55 plus year old moms and older, you know, and we were able, I mean, out of the 4,000 concerts that PBS have put on video games live is ranked number eight of (laughs) all time. This is amazing. Right. Um, And so, because what happened is those moms, you know, were watching PBS, this thing came on and they realized it was video games. So they called up to their 17 year old son (laughs) up there. Hey, you know that Warcraft game you're always playing? Uh, It's on TV down here. Come on down. And then they watched as a family. And, you know, I I think it was a turning point for getting non-gamers to understand and appreciate what video game music was. And so I, I, I felt that was a big turning point. You know, things mm-hmm. started to get a lot easier after that PBS special in America, you know, when, when right. that came out. But, but you know, for me, um, when I f- did the first show at the Hollywood Bowl, I had life-size Tron light cycles zooming across the stage. I had people in wires floating around. Uh-huh. Thing. I had, I mean, we had every damn thing I could think of to like really bring in like, you know, as much production uh, as I could. And, you know, at the end of the day, a lot of money has to be spent on that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And, in order for the show to survive, you know, cause you have to at least break even, you know, to, uh, you know, to, to, to keep it going. You know, I realized that, you know, you know, the, the, a couple of gags here and there are fine, but people are really there for the music. You know, they're really there for the music. That's the most important thing. And like, we'll put in a new segment like Phoenix, Wright. And as soon as those first few notes start to hit and that logo comes up, dun, 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 you know, and people uh-huh. start flipping. People lose their minds. And I, I could spend a million dollars having some holographic, uh, you know, Phoenix Wright person running across mm-hmm. the stage and they wouldn't care. You know, because it's because that emotional link is to those melodies, it's to those notes. Like that's why they showed up. Exactly, and those images on screen too. Uh Remembering that certain level, remembering that certain character, remembering that certain objection or whatever. You know, that storyline twist. That's that's what you know brings people back in, in into everything. So yes, and that's something I love that you guys have been continuing to do as you build the show. Is you're weaving in stories more and more. I feel. Yeah, I feel like something I, like Malak and the way that you know Emer Noon was able to tell 
that story through Warcraft, which was brought to life in video games live form. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, you have to remember that we do a show for everybody. So although you might know what the significance of this particular song for for Final Fantasy VIII would Libre Fatale would mm-hmm. be, that doesn't mean that every single person in the audience. And I created the show for everybody. And so to just oh, let's just play all the greatest hits and not say anything, I think does a disservice to the thing. And and we don't do it for every song, but you, you know, you've been to the show. I'll come out maybe four, five, six times in the show to talk about something important. Hey, did you know that the music from Kingdom Hearts was written by blah, 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 biggest pop star mm-hmm. in the in Japan and Bob, you know, that me oh really? Wow, I didn't know that. You know, so the hardcore gamer might be sitting there going, shut up and play it, get off the stage. But mm-hmm. you gotta realize that, you know, look at that mom or grandmother behind you and how her eyes just lit up now because you know, it has context. She, it means it has something context now. and means some, exactly. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's a balance. It's always a balance of you know because our audience is so diverse, and you want all you know. You want to try to even though it's impossible, you always want to try to please as many people as you can. You know. So, what do you guys have planned next? Like, are there any segments that you're you know waiting to debut or? What's in the future for video games live? Absolutely. I mean, our Kickstarter projects have really been like such a godsend. Um, yeah. You know, because, you know, the record companies are all dead and, and pretty much. And there, no one's going to be, you know, wants to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on recording a, an orchestral album. They just don't do it. You know, they put out movie soundtracks because mm-hmm. the movie budgets for recording, you know, a Hans Zimmer, John Williams score, it's like a million dollars. Right. You know, so and, and then the soundtrack just comes out after that. But no record company is going to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on doing orchestral music just because, you know, to try to sell to people, they'll never get their money back. Mm -hmm. Right. So for me, the last three video games, live albums, level three, level four, level five, it's been a godsend because I can go directly to the people. There's no middleman. There's no record company. There's no bullshit budgets Mm -hmm. and all this stuff. It's like, look guys, I'm transparent about everything. Look, here's where every single dollar is going. Um, and and by the way, you have to pay taxes on the money and you have to pay 10% to here. And you, like, I don't leave anything out, right? And so to have the people and literally like giving me hundreds of thousands of dollars so that I can create these things um, and year after year, you know, consistently, um, you know, hitting our goals and delivering even higher quality every single year. Like that's that, that, that's so, it means so much to me because it's, it's the people and, and the, you know, the, the fans of this stuff that are enabling me to continue mm-hmm. to do it. So it's like this, you know, cool kind of, you know, full circle thing, you know, if, and it enables me to create new arrangements for the show because, you know, like, where does that come from? You know, it's not, it's not cheap to create lighting design and all this, you know, to put a new segment in the show, you know, costs about, you know, 10 to $15,000, you know, so, and to always have, you know, new content and stuff. So last year alone on, on video games, live level five, we did Xenoblade and eco and, you know, command and conquer and Okami. And, you know, so all these like incredible things. Um, and then you say, well, what's, what's coming for the future? Um, I can tell you that, you know, some of the things that were, you know, looking at, or that we're working on right now, we're working on Undertale and, and Katamari Damacy, Mm -hmm. uh, but some other stuff, uh, Earthbound, Fire Emblem, uh, Secret and Legend of Mana, Shenmue, Devil May Cry, Monster Hunter, Uh Star Fox, Guilty Gear. Um, there's so much, uh, incredible, uh, music still that, that hasn't been recorded properly, you know, like with a big live orchestra. And you guys had people 
vote on level five, right? You had kind of people that's right. from the Kickstarter. And that's really neat because you have your, the, you know, your biggest fans, the people who want to be most involved, directly giving you their opinions and letting you know what they want to hear. Well, the album's for them. It's not for me. Yeah. You know, like, I again, I and I'm very upfront about everything. It's like, you don't see a line item in the budget for Tommy Tellerico. <laughs> you know, look, I, I, I made, I made uh, a lot of great money in the, you know, doing games like Earthworm Jim and, and Metroid and Tony Hawk and all that stuff. Some of which I still get royalty checks for 25 years <laughs> later, you know? Um, and so, you know, I, I'm not, I don't do this for the money. Everyone who, who knows me and who's, who's close to the project, or again, just looks on the Kickstarter and can see where all the money's going. It's for the, it's for the people. When I was writing video game music, my goal was always, I want to help change video game music. I want to help change what, how people think about it, how they feel about it. And then, you know, doing 300, you know, odd projects. And then when, when the mid nineties hit and CD ROMs became available as storage medium, and then everybody started doing video game music to that quality. Mm -hmm. I was like, cool. I, I kind of felt like, okay, my mission accomplished. Like people are up to this awesome quality level. This is a good thing. So then I started getting into the TV thing. You know, I'm like, right. let me spread the word across the world th through television. And then television started to die down as the Internet took over. And I'm uh -huh. like, well, now I want to bring this message through live entertainment. And, you know, and again, starting the video games live and doing that for 15 years. And 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 this has been, I think, you know, one of the most important ways to promote game music. Uh, at first it was just doing game music and making uh -huh. the quality bigger and better. Uh, and then again, through television and talking about it, but now when people can experience it and feel it live and, and they can bring others in, you know, so right now this is in this 21st century in 2017, as we're sitting here talking now, this is my best vehicle to, get people to listen to and appreciate video game music, mm -hmm. you know, and maybe that'll change. Maybe that changes yeah. in five years. Who knows? Maybe, uh, you know, we'll think of some virtual reality game that people can actually put themselves into and become the musician or conductor or something, whatever, you know, there's always, I, I'm always open to what's the next biggest thing and how can I, uh, you know, I, I want to dedicate my life, dedicated my life to, to, you know, the improvement uh, of video game music and hopefully inspire people to get into music or pl pick up a video game or whatever, you know, that's, it's, yeah. it's kind of a lifelong passion of mine because these are my two greatest loves growing up and still to this day are video games and music. Those are my two greatest passions, my two greatest loves. And, you know, my grandfather who came from Italy, uh, all four of my grandparents came from Italy, but my grandfather on my father's side would always say, look, you know, pick a career that you're passionate to, to the mm -hmm. things that you're passionate about and, and it'll never seem like a job. And success will follow that because you love what you'll do and you'll, you know, immediately become successful. You know, that stuff come, never do a job for the money, you know, do it because you love it and you're passionate about it and the money follows. Right. So whenever I speak to high school students or troubled teens or, you know, wherever I talk, mm -hmm. I always say that I say, look, right now on a piece of paper, write down all of the things that you're most passionate about. It could be anything. It could be baseball, cooking, gardening, uh, whatever, you know, whatever it is, write down all those things and then figure out all the jobs that are associated with that. So, so for example, if somebody loves baseball, doesn't mean they have to be a baseball player. Maybe they don't have the skill sets to do that. But you could work in the front office. You could do marketing and PR. Maybe you're a journalist for baseball. Maybe you work in the clubhouse. Maybe you're a, uh, a physical therapist. Maybe you're a, uh, you know, on and on and up, whatever. But to be around it and it's something you're passionate about, why not, right? Why, why 
pick up a newspaper or, or look online for a job just for the money or because you think it might be a good living down the road. Screw that. Write on a piece of paper everything that you love and then figure out what all the jobs are around that and go do that, you know? So, yeah. and never give up, never give up, never take no for an answer. Never, you know, because never give up the dream and never stop fighting until you get there. Right. Um, cause everybody has a dream. Everybody wants to be, you know, something they're not for the most part, everyone's walking around going, Oh, I wish I could be a, fashion photographer, or I wish I could own my own restaurant, or I wish I could be an actress or whatever. Don't stop until you get there because somebody else is fighting just as hard f for that position and they'll get there quicker if you take a day off. You know what I mean? So um, anyway, I don't know that that kind of sidelined into a... <laughs> I love that kind of stuff. Like hearing that from people is is legitimately inspiring, I think, for anyone listening, especially coming from someone like you, because not only have you managed to do something that you really love to do, but then you're sharing it with millions of other people. And so they all feel that. And then that just spreads. And they think, well, you know, maybe I'll try the thing I've been wanting to do. I really think that's how it works. That's how it's worked for me. Right. Totally. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm so happy to have you on the show finally, Tommy. Like, I knew this would be a good conversation. And uh, it did not disappoint. Awesome, man. Well, thanks for uh, taking the time. And, I, you know, I, I got to say, too, like, I've always been I, I've known the OC remix guys, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. uh, for since they started the damn thing. Right. <laughs> um, I know a lot of people in the community. And as a video game composer, for someone else in the world to take the time and inspired to create remixes or, you know, create different versions of something that, that I created even going back 25, 30 years ago, that is like the ultimate compliment. I can tell you. Mm -hmm. And, and game composers, I can tell you, we do all sit around and go, Oh man, you know, did you hear the thing? So-and-so did an OC remix and we <laughs> pass the stuff around. Like we're, That's it, great. we're like the most proud. Like I, I, I hope that the community of, of OC remix realizes and understands that to a lot of us, this really means it's very meaningful and very emotional for us to, to hear someone else, uh, you know, doing, doing, uh, music. I mean, I'll be honest with you too. I mean, there's a bunch of stuff like that I've heard where I'm like, this son of a gun did it way better than I did. <laughs> it's way cooler. You know, I, I, I have that happen to me all the time. I'm like, Oh my God, are you kidding me? This is like 10 times better. That's great. Well, Tommy, thank you again. It's been awesome to talk to you and I hope someday we'll have you on again. You know, when you have a, like a two minute break from touring with video games live. <laughs> Absolutely. Contact me anytime. Uh, love to talk. All right. Well, thanks, Tommy. And uh, we'll wrap it up here and head back to the show. Welcome to The Big Ones, a look at popular game music and what makes it so loved. This week is all about the genre-defining SNES game, Super Metroid. I have kind of an interesting background of Super Metroid. It's certainly an SNES classic, along with Super Mario World and Link to the Past, both future episodes, but the Metroid series as a whole completely passed me by until the Prime games. But after playing these, I re-examined the series and now consider it to be among my favorite franchises ever. In this 2D exploration genre, usually called Metroidvania, after Metroid and Castlevania from Symphony of the Night onwards, is a genre that I keep falling back on. And while the original game and Metroid 2 on the Game Boy laid the groundwork for the series, Super Metroid is the crowning jewel of the series. Few other games have such an amazing combination of atmosphere, world building, and gameplay. And the game itself is so well designed, both for a linear playthrough and an out of order traversal, that it's still a pleasure to watch speedrun, and usually closes out the speedrunning marathon, awesome games done quick. But the world building and atmosphere is done through the strong art direction and the music. The music was composed by Kinji Yamamoto and Minako Hamano. Yamato has worked with Nintendo since the mid-80s, and contributed some tracks to the NES versions of Punch-Out! And Hamano started with Link's Awakening on the Game Boy, which is one of my favorite game soundtracks. But Super Metroid is way different than these other two. 
The game has some classic melodies, but it's driven far more by slow builds, pads, and creepy progressions. Before we go any further, I want to give one quick music reduction lesson to get you to appreciate the soundtrack a little bit more. When it comes to virtual instruments and synthesizers, there are four main aspects to the volume. Attack, delay, sustain, and release. These four are commonly known as ADSR or ADSR envelope. Attack is how fast the sound reaches its maximum volume after you hit the key. Decay is how fast the sound drops from the peak volume to the next level, sustain. Sustain is the volume the instrument stays until the player lets go of the key. And finally, release is how long the sound continues after the key is released. Examples are the best way to understand this, so let's go through a few patterns on how this works. Here's a long attack, short decay to a slightly lower sustain, and a short release. Here's a short attack, short decay to a lower volume sustain, and a short release. And here's a long attack, equally long decay to a much quieter sustain than a short release. So with these in mind, let's take a look at how they apply in the game. The intro music starts with a kind of spooky synth line that builds up to the classic Metroid theme. redone perfectly for the SNES. The bass slowly pans between the left and right channels with a slowed down hammer hit or something like that in the background. The joining bass of the NES is unique enough that it's kind of difficult to upgrade for the SNES, but the synth approach here is spot on. In fact, every synth in this soundtrack is pretty spot on. The main theme features a synth timpani pretty prominently. The limited capabilities on the SNES made most percussion difficult to do convincingly, but they somewhat figured out timpani, so it's in dozens of games. The strange vocal sample is a great example of a long attack and a long decay, with the build and release being about the same length. The most striking feature of the soundtrack to me is that Yamato and Hamano aren't afraid of silence. There are many tracks in the soundtrack that will go close to or completely go silent. Hostile Incoming has just a single line for part of the song. And Criteria Underground and Wrecked Ship occasionally go completely silent. The creepy vocal line in Criteria Underground also features a long attack and release, coming in and out of the silence. It kind of feels like a musical representation of Samus breathing, with long inhales and exhales. Space Pirates Emerge feature the timpani in a more subtle way. The whole track is just oscillating between two chords with different elements going in and out. The track seems to just fade slowly away before jumping back to full volume for the loop. The item room is another throwback to the original Metroid. I love the way they interpret the weird noise channel from the original as beeps and boops. The mainline harmony sounds like the sound of a touchtone phone. I'm not sure if there's any significance to this, I just thought it was interesting. Brinstar Jungle Floor features a remix of the Metroid theme.
feels like it could have been on the NES with its limited instruments and buzzy bass. The drums never overlap and they are very seldom more than three voices at once. The melody is mainly a couple of different voices fading in and out. Slow Attack and Quick Decay are the name of the game here. Norfair, the fire of Zebus, mainly consists of a low rumble with occasional timpani. I love this track because it's not in a hurry. You keep waiting for the vocal stings to become constant, but it doesn't until the loop is almost over. It even feels hot, matching the name and location, but not in the way the heat is usually represented in games with an Arabian feel. Finally for today, the main theme of Criteria is one of the more heroic and positive sounding tracks in the game, with the cheesy SNES horns playing a more triumphant melody over the ominous strings and drums. These are playing in lots of big intervals and jumping between lots of major chords, which is kind of the go-to for heroic music. Super Metroid is still a great game, and if you haven't played it or just haven't played it in a while, I definitely recommend picking it back up. Many so-called Metroidvanias today are harping on the same gameplay mechanics and foundations that this game laid out back in 1994. Super Metroid features some of the finest atmospheric music in any game, but especially of any SNES game. The limited hardware in many ways adds to the game, as it makes it sound like synths that you would hear in a sci-fi horror movie. There are some great melodies still to be found within the game, but the foreboding strings and drums create a sinister world that just begs to be explored. Thanks for listening, and listen well. Thank you, everyone, for joining us for this lovely episode of the Overclock Podcast. Next episode is episode 70. That has a statistical significance that comes up about once every 10 episodes. So we're going to celebrate by doing a normal episode. I hope you all <laughs> join us for that. Uh, do we have any exciting sneak previews for the next episode, Stephen? No. All right. <laughs> so you can find uh, more about Overclock Remix at www.ocremix.org. Also, you can go to Twitter if you'd like to say hello to us and stuff like that. You can find us at OCR Podcast. And you can email us at podcast at ocremix.org. Mm -hmm. And I would like to thank everyone for sending in emails recently. We've been getting a lot of very nice messages from very nice people with very nice playlist suggestions. And Oh, that's cool. I, I don't actually... What, 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 what? I've not been the one checking the email account. I thought it was all still coming through Twitter and Discord. Most of it is Discord. Some of it is Twitter. Yeah. And sometimes we get a nice personalized email um, that usually compliments me on my speaking style and how clear and articulate it is and calls you a stinky dummy. I'm kind of glad I'm not checking the email account then. Uh, we would also like to thank Sinchatus for his writing for the Remix Rewind, JH Sounds for the Duosis Recuts, Tommy Tallareco for the interview, and Matthew Tuzironi for the segment. And we would like to thank all of you for liking me more than my brother and for listening to our show. Now we're going to send off uh, the episode, as we always do, with a little thing we like to call the playlist. <laughs> The Playlist is a weekly collection of listener-submitted recommendations so we can all discover music together. This week's theme is sci-fi music. 
Spanish Bar, from Beyond Good and Evil, and submitted by J.H. Sounds. Gate of Steiner from Stein's Gate and submitted by Square Evil. Music, track 4, from Kerbal Space Program, and submitted by Yami. The Search for Abrosia, originally from Deus Ex, remixed by Zircon and Jillian Aversa, and submitted by John.
bombs for throwing at you. From Portal 2, and submitted by Black Doom. Engage from Frozen Cortex and submitted by Joseph G. Explore from FTL and submitted by Stalky. Biohazard from Snatcher and submitted by Jorito. Magmore Caverns from Metroid Prime and submitted by Patchpin. Oh, oh, oh. 
Sanctuary Fortress from Metroid Prime 2 Echoes and submitted by Sothen. You've been listening to the Overclocked Podcast. Next week's playlist is Freestyle. Anything goes. Now's your chance to break the rules and submit any of your favorite game tunes. To submit your suggestions, or just break even more rules and submit Bruno Mars or something, hit us up on Twitter at OCR Podcast, email us at podcast at ocremix.org, or visit us on the forums at ocremix.org. This week's Lyrical Wisdom, it's your main man. Knuckles, and we in Meteor Herd. You ready to go in space? Help me get the emeralds.